Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc. that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Boys Podcast. I would normally be your keeper, Keeper Michael, but I am turning our table over to our guest keeper for our Regency Cthulhu campaign, and that would be Keeper Bridget Jeffries. Hello, hello, everyone. My name is Bridget Jeffries, and as uh, the awesome Mike Diamond just disclosed, I am your keeper of arcane lore. Uh, we are back with episode three of my newest adventure, limited campaign written specifically for the Old Ways podcast, Echoes in the Mist for Regency Cthulhu. Before we get back into the content, though, let's introduce this cast, shall we? Starting with John, tell us who you are, who you're playing, and one thing that sticks out to your character since last recording. Hi, I'm John. I'm playing Hugo Bartleby, first lieutenant to Captain Robert Dance. I guess the thing that sticks out the most to Hugo is that uh, his family have set him up with a child bride. That is not ideal. Also, the fact that Annie knows about it means that everyone knows about it, and I'm going to have to fix this. I can assure you we are all looking forward to seeing exactly how Hugo is going to fix this particular situation. Over to Nubish, tell us who you are, who you're playing, and something that sticks out to you since last recording. Hello, I am Nubish Indian Girl. My real name is Debbie. Haha, <laughs> name reveal. <laughs> and I am playing Miss Vidya Ambani. Given the rules of Cthulhu Regency, women are not allowed to have an occupation, so that's fun. But I am a rich, wealthy heiress, so I'm kind of loving that life, you know, uh, of being ultra wealthy because that's not my true reality. So it's kind of nice to play pretend, but also kind of exploring those privileges, which I have never experienced in my real life. So I'm pretty psyched about that. Amazing. And I can uh, I can assure you, Ms. Vidya Ambani, we are very, very much looking forward to seeing exactly how this looks when the rich Indian heiress lands in the Dorset ball season. And last but totally not least, Mike Diamond, tell us who you are, who you're playing and something that sticks out to. We just learned this. We got some coaching from Mike. Captain Sir Robert Dance. That's correct. Put some respect on my name. I'm Keeper Michael or Michael Diamond. I run the old ways as all of our listeners know, but I do so with a cast and a crew, which is second to none. And I say that also too for the character I'm playing tonight, which is Captain Sir Robert Dents of Dorset, England. The captain has come home and boy, aren't things a mess. So I think one of the things that stuck out to him during the last recording was the sheer amount of silliness that seems to have gone on here in Dorset since he's been gone. And he hasn't been gone terribly long either. Just just six months. 
give or take. And so uh, I think that there's trouble brewing here. And he is the type of fellow who will likely get to the bottom of that. And he might not like what he finds. Oh, I feel like Captain Sir Robert Dance might come out of a pocket here soon. And I am delighted to see how this rolls out. Noob, before we jump into the content, may we have the next reading of Sir Byron's poem, Darkness, that was written in a year without summer. Of course. And others hurried to and fro and fed their funeral piles with fuel and looked up with mad disquietude on the dull sky, the pall of a past world, and then again, with curses cast them down upon the dust and gnashed their teeth and howled, the wild bird shrieked, and terrified did flutter on the ground and flap their useless wings. The wildest brutes came tame and tremulous, and vipers crawled and twined themselves among the multitude, hissing but stingless. They were slain for food. So, flashing back into game just a few moments ago, uh, you all have arrived, well, to Millpuddle, which is a few hours north of your intended destination in Pool. And you three have arrived with your entourage of basically flex gifts that have come with you from India with Miss Vidya Ambani. Captain Sir Dance has arrived dirty and filthy, but he successfully completed yet another trip across the seas. At six months out to India, six months back, he's moved beyond the waves and through continents, and he returned safely, just as handsome, and when he promised that he would. He's a true naval captain, a man who is true to his word. And for that alone, Captain Sir Dance, I need you to add 1d6 reputation to your sheet. Please let us know what you roll. Ooh. You will see the manifestations of this the next time you're out in public. One, which is technically all he needs. Which is technically all he needs. Bravo. Hugo, you are an engaged man. You were just the last one to find out about it. Uh, And you have successfully helped Captain Sir Dance on yet another journey. Because of this engagement, this promise of reputation that is, you know, starting to change and pivot on its on its course. And the fact that you, too, completed another journey, you will be gaining 1d8 reputation to your your sheet. Uh, You will see the manifestations of this the next time you're out in public. Please roll a 1d8 and let us know how you did. Hugo also rolled a one. A one is not so helpful to Hugh. <laughs> Your father thought that engagement was going to help a lot more than it did. Maybe it, it'll do better once you're married. That's what it is. That's that's when it'll really come through. And Miss Vidya Ambani, painted white faces awaited you in the windows as you uh, arrived into Mill Puddle. You saw all of these faces in the windows gawking, glaring, staring at you. You are a much anticipated figure here in town. Uh, no one expected to see the horses, the birds, and whatever magnificent beast was rattling around in that cage. Though jealousy for sure is to be abound, um, you and this entourage are definitely going to set the tongues and mill puddle wagging. Please increase your reputation by 1d12. You will see the manifestation of this the next time you are out in public. Please roll a 1d12 and let us know how you did. If it's a 1, I'm going to crack up. Oh, boy. Please don't be a one. Please don't be a one. 
Guys, I rolled a 12. Okay, listen, girl power. <laughs> Clearly, uh, please increase your reputation by 12. With that reconciled, Hugo, you are standing in the library of a home that is not your own, looking into the porcelain face of a 16-year-old freckled-faced girl who doesn't have the courage to meet your gaze, Fanny. A red strand of hair pops into her face as her eyes scan the floor looking for some modicum of support. To your right, you hear a drawer open and slam, and then the wooden heels of your sister's inclined shoes clap across the floor approaching you, and apparently your future bride. Mary Anna, your sister, speaks in a tone that is both full of scorn and delight. Oh, brother, you wrote the most charming and convincing proposal letter. Truly, I I didn't think you had it in you. Papa, would you like to hear it again? Your father, off in the corner, grumbles. I would. Your sister continues. As would I, as a matter of fact. Mariana whips out this paper and slaps it across the forehead of this teenage girl. Uh, Fanny starts to startle shake and she takes the letter and begins to unfold it and you can see that she's fighting back tears your sister continues read it like you mean it child read it like you really really mean it then your sister leans in to whisper something into this child's ear all the while making direct eye contact with you Hugo Hugo I need you to roll me both a listen and a psychology check please so Let's see. Hugo's listen is base, so that's only 20%. He doesn't make that. But what he does make is his psychology check. Okay. With a 14 against against the score. So. Perfect, perfect. Okay, so you don't know what Mariana whispered into this child's ear, but uh, just the fact that she seems to pale and glances up to you almost pleadingly as if she's asking for help. You don't know what she said. But you know something for sure right now in this moment, Hugo, that this girl is actually in danger. And with a 14, you think that she's in danger from your family. She begins to read the letter. My dear Fanny, I have lived a poor life, but your affections have led me to seek redemption in the arms of our Lord Christ. It is my humblest wish that you accept me as your husband, and join me in the sacred bond of matrimony to be together all of our lives. Allow me to support you as you have me. Loving you always, Hugo. And Hugo, while Fanny is reading this letter, you can see standing directly behind her, you know, like six inches off her shoulder, uh, your sister, Mariana, is saying the words along with her, mouthing them in a very blatant display of those are my words coming from your future wife's mouth. Hugo does something that Captain Dance is very familiar with. He sticks his tongue behind his lower lip and pushes out. He's just staring his sister in the eye as this poor girl is he's just like what the fuck is going on? But also he's thinking something and that's how the fuck did they get her to agreed to marry me. This family ain't shit. I'm the richest member. And that's because I left. What do they have on her? <laughs> what? Are they blackmailing her family? Like, Hugo feels sympathy for the poor girl, but he's also just like, 
Oh, this isn't any good. I can't let this go. Oh, yes. I remember that letter now. All comes back to me. And he just like looks at the poor girl and he's like trying to get her to meet him in the eye. And she's just not. So he's just, I remember that, of course. Well, in that case, could I request a moment of privacy with my beloved bride-to-be? Your sister genuinely looks disappointed in this moment. Uh, But she throws a look over to your father. Your father throws uh, a hand up in the air. Uh, He grumbles, send in the bitches and take me to my room. And everyone in this room can hear the sounds of uh, someone leaving out of one of the back rooms. And there's just this thunderous wave of paws on the floor. And Sir Hugo Bartaby, you know the bitches that your father is referring to. It is the four female uh, Newfoundland dogs that just go wherever they go. So these four dogs kind of run in. They are soaking wet. They go storming past you guys, you know, onto where their kenneled area is. Uh, Soon your father is collected. And your sister kind of idles in the doorway. You can hear that clap, click, clap, click of her shoes as she's not quite sure whether or not she's going to afford you this privacy with your future bride. And she finally just consents and she will turn on her heels and leave. And you are left in the library with this young girl. And the second all of that commotion dies down and all of those people leave, you can see her shoulders just collapse. Yeah, Hugo's going to lead her over to the couch and, like, just sit her down. <clears throat> he's still trained as a gentleman, even if he isn't one. And he's going to pull up a stool and sit across from her, like, well, you know, arm's length away, and leans on his elbows on his knees. Which she's going to actually lean back. The second you lean forward on your knees, you can hear that chair scoot back. Yep. Where she is going to, like, just, you know, it's, it's instinctual. She doesn't mean to be rude, but she's very afraid right now. Uh, and Hugo is, again, probably the biggest, meanest man she's probably been ever exposed to. For sure. For sure. For one, he's been working his whole life. So, well, you know, his adult life. So he's, as I said before, in the first episode, he has the skin of someone who has worked in the sun for forever. Yeah. And she's not used to that. And... Uh, so he's just going to lean down, lean forward and rest his elbows on the knees and just... So, how'd they get you to go along with this? Was there more than one letter? I tell you, none of them were me. I uh, never did find redemption. And I uh, don't rightly reckon I will, if I'm honest. So, how did a small, no-good Nick family in Dorsetshire get a poor young thing like you to agree to marry one of the worst men whatever served under the crown. She's looking at you, uh, Sir Broderby, with these big, wide, saucer eyes. And she is at least able to meet your gaze as you're moving back and forth. And she says, I didn't I didn't have a choice. Sounds about right, you poor thing. And he leans back and he's just you know, sitting up right now. He's just like, well, I'll be honest with you, this doesn't really fit in with my plans for going forward. A bit inconvenient, as you can imagine, is something of a surprise to me. They announced it about three months ago. Three months. Makes sense. Working folk down in Poole know about it. 
it was announced in pool. Before the riot? Just before. <laughs> you don't reckon that's what actually caused it, do you? And he just gives her just like the shit-eating grin. She blanches uh, for a moment as she looks at you, Sir Bartleby, because she doesn't find that funny at all. The, the look she's giving you is probably the first the first line of courage that you've seen from the 16-year-old girl, but she doesn't think that's funny at all. She actually looks not that fake etiquette regency appalled like, oh my gosh. No, she looks genuinely offended by that statement. And he's just like, when he sees that full reaction, he's just like, I'm sorry, my dear. It's just, I, uh, this is all a bit of a shock to me. And well, when you've seen what I've seen, jokes like that become more of a coping mechanism than, uh, than anything else. At least that's what I reckon, based on a couple of men I've seen do it. That was you, what was playing the uh, the, arm- the glass harmonica when I come in? She nods. You play well. Thank you. I'm sure your reputation will recover from being associated with a Bartby in time. I'll do my best to do right by you, of course. Now, the thing you have to understand, young Fanny, is that I don't much want to be married. I reckon you aren't overly keen on the notion just yet yourself. So, you tell me what they lean on you with. Was it your own family in on it? Did they force you, or was it all her? And it's very clear who he means when he growls her. <laughs> and in, instinctively, she actually looks to the last spot that your sister was kind of doing that clip-clock idling in, as if mm-hmm. she's wondering if that, that ghost, that vicious of your sister, is still there. And she looks back and she says, it was her. But by the point that the arrangement had been made, my family was already dead. They died in the riots in Pool. I am under your family's guardianship. Oh, you poor child. And he's just thinking back to his joke now and he's like, oh, fuck me. <laughs> Ooh, that was insensitive. And he, he just like looks at her like, like genuinely sadness for her. He's like, Ain't right. How are they treating you? Are they keeping you keeping you well? Are they? He's and he just like casts a glance towards her. He's like, they're not trying to be disciplining you, are they? If she could jump out of her own skin at this moment, she would. But she is not going to articulate anything other than Diana is very sweet. She's the purest one. What have the name Bartleby since my mother died? Mother at her moments. Diana's. Well, probably the best person in the house, if we're honest. Perhaps discounting yourself, I'm not sure where you land on things, Miss Fanny. I think you are capable. <laughs> he, he leans back when he says this. He's like, I think you're capable of causing a bit of hell yourself. But I, uh, you're a bit young for me, if I be honest with you. And he's like, no offense. Look, I'm tired. I'm after traveling all day. I'm sorry, but I'm covered in muck. I uh, was, wasn't realizing I'd have someone I'd have to help. It's not just myself I have to worry about. If it were just me, I'd... And he just laughs, chuckles. He's like, well, dear, I'd uh, put you in a position where you can't... Uh, couldn't sustain the, mar- the relationship, the engagement, and society would be entirely on your side. But as it stands, it ain't just you and me that's involved. It ain't just us. So... You leave this with me, and I'll get you out of it. I can't promise you a safe landing place, but I can promise you 
safer than ear. All right? She looks at you. She wants to believe you so badly. You can see that in her face, but I'm just going to roll this back into your previous psychology role because it was so low. She is holding something back, but it doesn't look like she's going to come off of it right now. Mm-hmm. And Hugo entirely respects this. So he's like, look, in my line of work, you don't trust nobody at the drop of a hat. That's not how it works. So I learn your trust. And I'll get you out of here. As soon as I can get you out, I will. And that's a promise. May not mean much to you now, but it will. And she can feel this conversation coming to a close. So she's going to kind of like hasten that by standing and, you know, rising to her feet. Yeah. And, you know, Hugo will stand across from her. He's he's just wearing his waistcoat and his breeches and his shirt and, and his socks. But, um, you know, he's going to stand and walk her to the door. And he's just going to, you take care of yourself, Miss Fanny. And uh, if there's any threats against you, you tell me, all right? I will uh, take steps to see that my uh, and he kind of like looks away as he says to see that my sweetheart is well kept she nods but doesn't technically acknowledge anything that she just said and she just closes with good night Sir Balderby welcome home good night Miss Fanny and she turns a corner and just before I close this scene Hugo if you are in that library directly above the highest bookshelf where there's like that, you know, f- three or four foot gap between mm-hmm. the top of the bookshelf and the wall, you hear something knock over. Yeah, Hugo spins around. <laughs> He's like, nothing should be up there. Like, you know, it's not one of the new feasts. They're not up there. <laughs> they're good, but they're not that good. <laughs> they're, not, they're not that good. And you spin that direction. There's this, this pause and, you know, your 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 hackles on edge right now because something is either spying on you or praying on you or getting ready to pounce on you and that's when you can see just the the slight top of your sister's head the little sneaky one just like from the nose up um and you can see that she's looking over and she throws you this really sympathetic smile she's really sweet she is that my angel she is he just gives her a wink he's like i'll take make sure she's well taken care of and she nods and she looks to the left and she looks to the light, uh, to the right and she slips back into the wall somehow. You don't know what your sister is doing. That might be a great conversation for later. But you know, when, like when you first walked in and your father called your name, he just echoed out with that bellowing boy. She disappeared, but it was like, where did she disappear to that quickly? Mm-hmm. Well, that's how kids do. Yeah, <laughs> the vanishing child effect. Well, look, they're meant to be seen, not heard. Right. <laughs> and when they're not wanted to be seen, they're meant to just disappear. Just disappear. And that's what she does. She kind of like fades into some panel behind the bookshelf that she's found. Clever girls. So my last question for you, Sir Bartleby, where are you sleeping tonight? Because I remember that was a point of discussion last time. Are you sleeping here at home or are you going to sleep? Oh, hell no. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't sleep under the same room as these bastards if I could. No, I wouldn't sleep even if I was here. So. Okay. Back to the dance house and where my chest of clothes is and just, oh boy, fuck these people. Back on my horse and away I go. Okay. Let's do a very, a very brief scene if we can. Uh, Sir Bart will be arriving back at the dance house right while 
Sir Dance is right now kind of like consoling his sister over whatever traumatic event she experienced in pool. So there's like, there's a rap on the door. Uh, your sister is going to pull away from you very quickly. Captain Sir Robert Dance and wipe her face and just kind of like skirt around you and uh, head to the door. I stand up. It's uh, probably a little strange to have a visitor at this hour, but given the hour we came in at. Yeah. The door opens, Sir Hugo Bartleby, and you can see a freshly cried out uh, older woman, but you already know her. Mm-hmm. This is Miss Rockcliffe. She opens the door and she looks to you and um, she just gives you a, a very sad smile and she, you know, steps back and ushers you in. No questions. No inquiries. There's no, what are you doing here? There's no, this is inappropriate. She just steps back and allows you in. Thank you, Miss Grace. And he's going to step in. He's going <laughs> to stand up. You know, a pretty good attention. He's going. He's just going to, uh, <clears throat> Captain, I request your permission to stay here. I, uh, I've got some things to think on, and my chest is here, so I figured it might be best if I stay. You don't need to get a room prepared, sir. Uh, you know, well, I can, I can rough it with the best of them. <clears throat> I give Bartleby a, a pretty wide smile. We've we've been friends for a long time, and and obviously uh, shipmates for for some time. And I, uh, <clears throat> I probably to lighten the mood, given Grace's. Um, you know, waterfall of tears recently. I'll just say, uh, should we house you then with the stables? There's a, probably some room there. <laughs> well, sir, I mean, I was hoping for somewhere in the house, maybe the servants' quarters, but I mean, if you want to put your longest serving member of your crew up with the horses, I don't see what I can say no to that. No, no, you wouldn't be able to, but I'm just not that sort of a man. Um, so. Aren't um, I the lucky one? I'm certain. And I will uh, visually not defer to Grace, but just get her eye to see if if she'll nod along with me. I'm certain that there is a space here we can afford you. Uh, She'll throw you a very adoring, a very patient and a very appreciative smile. And she'll bow. She says, I'll prepare his rooms now. Thank you very much, Miss Grace. I really appreciate that. Does she leave? Yeah, she is going to leave. Just really fast because I think it's cute and because I'm a dog lover, I'm going to do it. She's getting ready to close that door when one of these new fees just slides <laughs> in, crashes into the wall, shakes mud and water everywhere, and is going to wind up patting next to uh, Sir Hugo Bartleby. And <laughs> Grace is going to look down at this dog, look up and just like, you know what? I've hit my threshold for tonight. I'm just going to go prepare the rooms. That is the problem for tomorrow. Where's this come from now? <laughs> she was like, I, Robert, I'm real sorry. She must have followed me from the outside. Christ. <laughs> and he's just like, get by the fire, you cut. <laughs> oh, sh- I'm certain it'll be fine. House could probably use a dog. Oh, they're good company. And he just shakes his head and he's just like looking down into the fire. It's like, you remember Annie was making a joke or something when we were at the beach? I think so, yes. Robert. They wouldn't have got me fucking engaged. I look around at the drop of, you know, a a curse word. And then when I'm sure that there's no servants or um, other house guests listening, I'll lean forward and say, why in the hell did they do that? They got some poor orphan from pool. Poor critter. She's only 15, what, 16 years old? old? And uh, I think maybe they blackmailed her, threatened her. All in some attempt for 
raising the family name up. I don't know. Hmm. Madness. And he's just petting the dog as he's talking to, <laughs> to his captain. What's this dog's name, by the way, John? Well, this is Mal. Mal, I love it. Okay. Mal. It's not... And I wish it was. I wish it was insanity, but it's not. I know, and I, I'm aware of what I can't do, what I would have done when I were a younger man. What with it deflecting you as well as me. Mm. And young Miss Deanna. She, uh... Oh, Robert, she's a sweet young thing. She's very precocious. Mm. But I... I can't let this poor girl get you're caught up with my life. I mean, Christ, what? She'd stay with them while I'm off at sea? No, we couldn't be doing that. Even if I couldn't just leave her. Yeah, he's like, I, I'm in a complicated place. And I, I'm aware my actions reflect on you. So, if you tell me roll with this, I'll roll with it. If you tell me Bartleby go off horn and ruin your name around town what no one will accept you being married to a young one I'll do that I mean I'd do that anyway to be honest it was kind of the plan it's a small town a small house back in town what uh well give three knocks on the back door and you could go down a special stair it wouldn't be in my way to tell you to go whoring that is something you already know how to do fairly well. Just kind of shrug. He's like, yeah, fair. But I would tell you that, and I would be remiss if I did not, there are certain things which are inevitable, right? Death, as we all are aware of, it comes for all of us. The taxes we must pay, and certain members of certain classes desire to move beyond where they were born at. That is no surprise to me. But I will not tell you you must marry her. But I will tell you that you should. And for this reason, not her age. But consider what you will do to her if you do not. She has already been betrothed to you, Bartleby. And when you reject her, it will not only reflect on me, but my family here, and more importantly, reflect on her. She'll be cast around town as, as the maid who is not good enough for Hugo Bartby. What position will you put her in? And he's just looking shamefacedly down at the dog. He's like, reckon you're right about that. I, uh, I don't know. I don't know the girl's full family history. All I know is her family were killed in pool. Reckon maybe the old man and the sister, that bitch. And he's just like scratching the dog behind the ear. He's like, reckon they're, uh, I don't know, trying to get whatever family money she has tied up somewhere. It's possible. Could you perhaps find a way to stave off the nuptials until the, um, you could put eyes and ears on who she is? Well, I don't know when they haven't planned, but I can stall. I can... We're what? We're in the middle of debutante season. You can't be seen marrying someone if there's no son overhead. Well, that's true, isn't it? It's, uh... It's true altogether. 
I reckon it would be an unlucky marriage if there weren't no sun overhead, wouldn't you? God wouldn't be watching. Perhaps if a season or two passes, it might be a bit more palatable for you to take her on, yes? I reckon that could be the very thing, Captain Dance. I reckon it could. And then this would afford you time to relax amongst the houses of of, uh, this area, yes? You see him like, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. And then he like stops and he's like, he realizes what you mean. And he's like, oh, party season. There are some truths still, yes? True. There will be parties. There will be women. We have been at sea for six months. There are some truths. We, there, we all need exercise. I reckon you're right enough. All right. Thanks, Go Robert. In. Absolutely. The captain puts a hand on Bartleby's shoulder and gives him a real direct look and says, I appreciate you bringing that to me. I would also appreciate if we kept the conversation as always in confidence. Always, Captain. And he stands up and he like slaps his leg to tell the dog to come to heal. <laughs> you rise, the dog rises, and you've noticed towards the latter end of the conversation, the conversation, the more you were reaching towards the dog, the more the dog was like either shying away or like at one point, Mal turned around and mouthed at you, like stop touching me or leave me alone. It's like Her attention is focused somewhere upstairs. Like her ears keep going up and down, up and down. Uh, her hips keep moving. And when you finally release her from that break position, she's gone. With a 90, her obedience is out the door. She Something has her attention in a very jovial, happy, interesting way. And just muddy, floppy, 130 pounds of female, you know, bitches running up the stairs right now. Oh, Christ. Mal, except that it's late at night, so he's like whisper shouting at the dog as she's thundering up the steps the camera following along Maul uh, with these shouted whispers of Hugo at her back she hits the, the landing of the first flight of stairs and Vidya you can hear what sounds like you know a baby elephant running through the hallway right now like it's, it's, it's trembling and it's loud and you hear the as this dog is moving from door to door trying to pin down a scent that it has never smelled before and it catches directly up to your Tudor suite exterior door and suddenly you hear clawing at the outside of the door like frantic scrape scrape scratch 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 and then there's like this shake and you can audibly hear splashing and then scratch 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 is that is that my cat is that my big little panther um I think uh Vidya loves animals, so I think she's, you know, she's probably going to open the door half expecting to see her, her little panther or big panther. I haven't decided. I don't know how big the panther is, but you're face to face with this thickly wet coated mud, 130 pounds of bitch, gorgeous, fluffy, floofy face, all brown with the white burst on his chest that looks up to you with like these just mooned over eyes. And this dog just with a 90 moves right past you. Your entire nightgown is splashed with mud as this dog bumps around you. And Maul is having the time of her life in your room because she has never smelled Indian soaps, Indian spices, whatever food you may have. And this is the most exciting thing that has happened to her this year. I mean, this is probably the most exciting thing that's happened to me tonight after, you know, like all the traumatizing thing of like my beloved horse, like getting a major injury and me being separated from my horse. I feel like Vidya is just probably just laughing and giggling as she's playing around with uh, with the dog. 
probably, you know, my etiquette isn't super great, so I don't realize that this may not be the best thing, but at this point of the night, I probably have forgotten all sense of etiquette in favor of just playing with this happy, muddy dog. So anyone outside the hallway is probably just hearing lots of giggling and laughing as, you know, they're, they're running around in the room. Oh my goodness. And as you're running around in the room, you know, the second you fall out laughing and you're lifting a, the, the spirit in this room, if you move towards Maul, this is a 130 pound dog that drops into a play bow, which, you know, she'll drop into the play bow, her ass is up in the air, she'll glare at you. And if you make a step, then she takes off running to like the library. Then she takes back off running to the, the chamber room. And for a minute, you think she's about to hop on the bed, but what she does is actually slides to a stop, pushing the rug underneath the bed because she knows she's not allowed on furniture. She, that part of the training stuck. But yeah, you are having the time of your life with the very, very, very large puppy. Grace is going to wind up coming back downstairs and the look that she gives you, Bartleby, she doesn't say anything, but when she comes downstairs, the look she gives you is just like, if you don't do something about this goddamn dog, we're going to have a whole situation right now. Bartleby just like quietly scuttles out of the room. Like, Grace is not only his captain's sister, she's also just like, a really respectable lady. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, yeah, yeah, I'll just, I'll just go do that. Just, just a minute there. I'll, uh, just, <laughs> just quietly. And then once he's closed the door behind him, he is running as quietly as possible up the stairs. Okay. Miss Ratcliffe looks at you, her brother, Robert, and she doesn't say anything, but the look she gives you is very much like, I don't know how you're ever going to make this up to me, but at some point you're going to have to try really, really hard. She doesn't say anything, but that's just the look that she's giving you. It's that sibling affection, frustration look that she's she's just throwing at you. I'm going to give her the slightest of bow, probably no more than 15 degrees, but an act of deference as like I sort of throw up my hands just ever so slightly as a welcome home. Uh, and then she steps out of the way as if, oh, no, you can go help him. She doesn't say it, but that is very much the, oh, you can go help with that. You can't. You sure can't. Just follow the mud trail. Yeah. And uh, the captain will likely uh, walk carefully up the stairway. Not in a rush. He's already muddy. So yeah. it's not like a muddy dog will uh, will sully him anymore. And uh, he'll he'll follow the trail. Okay. Let's put the three of you guys together again for the first time in the last, what, two hours? <laughs> Newt, give us... Cause you didn't close the door. This is just an open no. suite at this point. An open door. What do the captain and his first mate see when they finally come into that 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 doorway? Basically, just Vidya in like her nightgown, just trying to... Try, just playing with the dog. Not really realizing that anyone... I don't think Vidya was expecting any humans to come by once the dog <laughs> came in so she was clearly getting ready for bed and is, is you know just like trying to move around the dog play with the dog a bit gentlemen this is an issue that you are seeing miss video in her nightgown it's also a major issue that you have not been announced into the ladies chambers but you do have a very excited muddy dog splashing around uh, inside of a guest chamber so that's also an issue too yeah, so I, Bartleby's probably going to beat me up the stairs. He's, he's already gone to look for the dog, so I'll I'll um, wait until John takes uh, takes the first hit. 
As as is right, right? As is right, as is right. And the good thing, you're in your privacy of your home. So I'm not going to ding you for reputations right now. Your sister's not about to spill the beans on you guys. But the servants, what will the servants say? But what will the servants say? You know how they talk. Mm. Yeah, no. Barrel will be like, burst into the door when he's like, ha. Oh, awkward. <laughs> We've been at six months at sea and I managed to not do this for six months. <laughs> oh yeah. no! Oh no! And I, I feel like this is going to try to look for some type of robe or some type of covering garment. To which Maul thinks that means tug of war. Oh, That's no. great! Oh, you pick up a garment <laughs> that must be tug of war! <laughs> so, um, w- when I get um, when I get to the doorway... The captain will come to immediate an immediate stop at the threshold of the door because it would be improper. Like he he sees Bartleby just just a few steps a few steps inside and sees the fracas going on with the dog, and he will immediately like turn left and down towards the door <laughs> to stare at like the 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 molding on the floor, you know, just somewhere else, and give occasional glances into the room like. I'm not going to stare at what's happening in there. And he'll say, Bartleby, solve this now. (laughs) Bartleby is like, so he's, he's normally he'd just grab the dog. But he has spent six months talking with this young woman and respecting her private space. And he's just like, oh, Miss Vidya, I feel sorry. I, uh, Maul there is from my house, and I said I'd come and get her. Maul, heal. Maul, heal. Maul. <laughs> and she's just not. Maul, Maul hears you, but Tug of War is really entertaining for her right now. <laughs> this is like the best thing that has happened to this dog. Because you know nobody at your house other than your sister is probably paying attention to any of these dogs. But mm-hmm. what I will give you is, depending on how serious you are, I will let you rock out with an Intimidate check. That feels good. Yeah. At first, he's like, Oh, come on, come on. And eventually his temper frays a little bit. And he's just like, Maul, heal. Oh. And it doesn't do much. <laughs> it's very intimidating to a human being, but not to this dog. <laughs> I was like, it's 67 against a uh, base value of like 15. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no love on that. There's, yeah, there's, there's no. no love there. So what it is, this is just a very overstimulated, attention-starved dog. Who hears you, who looks up and throws you a glance and then just starts like nah, shaking this gown that Vidya has that she's still trying to cover herself up with. Mm-hmm. Hugo's like trying his best to look at the dog and not at her <laughs> because he's just like, I do not need <laughs> <laughs> any misunderstandings here. I have had a rough day of it. Miss Vidya, with your permission, I'd like to uh, pick the dog up and carry her out. Uh, that that sounds good to me. I, I'm so sorry. I I didn't. I I thought it was maybe my my panther. I I, I don't I don't know why. I, I wasn't expecting a dog or, or or male presence or male company. And he like takes like a one of the blankets off the bed and like puts it over her front while looking at the dog. And he's just like, "Worry not, you'll miss Zaya." And he's just. Picking up this this goddamn huge dog, <laughs> 130 pounds of dog, and he's just like putting his arms around her ribs and just lifting her. <laughs> oh, oh! With a strength of 70, you've got it. Because if you're gonna grab onto this dog, this dog is gonna go like, "Oops, 
Okay. It's not that the dog goes limp. Like, you know, once you get your hands around, mm-hmm. you know, her hips, she's going to do the back paw leg where she's like clawing up your hips where she's trying to get her own balance. But she's not resisting. You've, you've got her. The dog is squirming, but he's yeah. holding her quite firmly <laughs> because okay. she is familiar with him and she's she knows what's up. Yeah. But he's <laughs> he scooped her <laughs> and he is just firmly holding <laughs> just above her hips okay. in a light pinch so that those legs aren't doing much anymore. They're supported. She's not dangling. The thing's dangling except for like yeah. her head. But, you know, she's not moving. Uh, that head is going to roll like over your shoulder and looks... Vidya, you're looking down the face of a dog that just loves you more than anything else in the entire world. And the face she's giving you is, oh, don't worry, I'll come back. <laughs> I'll be back. Don't worry. No, I'll, I'm coming back for whatever for whatever's in that trunk and whatever it is you have in that closet and that that blanket. Don't worry, I'm coming back. Don't don't worry, baby. I'll, I'll come back. I'm coming back. That's the look you're getting from this dog. What a good dog! I feel like Vidya is saying that too. Oh, it's a, it's such a good dog. Don't don't punish her. She's so oh. she's so good. She's so good. So uh, when 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 Bartleby makes his way past me, which invariably he he will at some point, I will uh, reach in to grab the door handle and uh, before I completely close it yet still eyes in deference towards the floor but this time like actually looking at Miss Vidya's way but not okay. like st- like my eyes stop at the bottom of the bed in that room okay and I probably take on a, a very much a, an air of um, proper etiquette and I'll say um, you have my word Miss Vidya that the, the dog will not be punished the dog is a dog it knows not any better and could care less what comes to matters of etiquette. Now, um, uh, my apologies for the outburst. Oh, it, it's quite all right. Gives her a simple nod and slowly shuts the door, even shutting it with respect. Right? So he turns the handle and slowly closes the door so that way it doesn't actually make the click sound doesn't actually happen. Right? And then he'll turn and um, he'll hunt down a servant. Captain Sir Robert Dance, it does not take you long to find one because the moment you turn a corner, there are servants either popping out behind curtains, looking down the hallway, stand. I mean, y- you have an audience that you weren't aware that you had. All of this ruckus, all of the laughing, all the thunder. It's th- There's one D6 servants around. It won't take you long for you to startle one as you walk into um, her. You there. Miss Vidya's chambers have been sullied by a dog. Not in a disagreeable way. There's some mud. She'll need fresh bedding and the floor cleaned and fresh water immediately. Yes, Captain. And I don't, I don't stop. I keep moving. And she scurries in the opposite direction, full speed. Last question to wrap up this scene that I didn't think was going to happen, but it's probably one of my favorite things of the day. Hugo, where the hell are you putting Maul? Because the, the kid was at home. <laughs> yeah, and I'm here. So. She's going to stay in your room. You're going to try to lock her out. No, look, you, you can't lock this dog out. Maul is. Not Maul. <laughs> look, of the four, she is the, the brightest one. Maul is going to have to sleep in my room. Okay. Vidya, at some point, a handful of servants are going to come in and it's almost like this a whirling dervish of clean uh, mob, clean, wipe up, clean, excuse me, miss, sorry, miss, sorry, miss. And like, 
as quickly as they come in, they're going to fade out. And the three of you, all in your own rooms at the dance house, are able to finally, 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 finally collapse with pure exhaustion from everything that you've experienced. Or, or maybe it's one of those things where you're so tired you can't sleep. You know, that sensation where you're just so overwhelmingly tired that you can't actually go to sleep. All of you have things on your emotional and your mental radars that you need to reconcile. Uh, Vidya is going to be coming out uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks. Hugo's going to be getting married unless they can push that uh, push that wedding off. And um, Dance, you are responsible for both of these entities, both of these parties. And there are a lot of moving pieces on this chessboard or this chessboard on you know how you need to proceed forward. The rains eventually come back, as they always do during this season, unfortunately. And the rains just pound on sheets on the roof and the window and the ground. Lightning cuts across the sky. And soon after the lightning cuts across the sky, a thunderclap erupts. And then it is abruptly cut off, silenced, as if the sound itself were just snatched from the sky before it could manifest until its full, booming glory. And then there's a quiet the rain suddenly stop and a sudden discomfort fills the air that all of you breathe. If you happen to be awake, you know undoubtedly that something has arrived. You just don't know what. If you were asleep, you aren't any longer. The herald has arrived. This is the echo that precedes death. They are here. I'm putting you guys into initiative orders, which I've already reconciled, so you guys know. Uh, I am starting with Captain Dance. I'm moving down to Vidya. Then I am going to be talking with Bartleby. These scenes are happening simultaneously. I am going to toggle and struggle between the three. Captain Sir Robert Dance, you sit up in your bed, in the silence, in the dark. You're not sure how long you've been awake or if you ever actually went to sleep. That's a very huzzy, phasey, phased-out moment uh, right now. There's a soft red glow that begins to illuminate from somewhere outside of your windows. It bathes your chambers in this murky, aquatic red glow. Uh, As you now have some light in the room and you're looking around, you notice that all of the wallpaper on your room is different. Uh, It's lying now from floor to ceiling with the ace of spades, repeating again and again and again and again. Uh, The walls begin to leak and run with water. Uh, it undulates behind the uh, the wallpaper and spills out onto the floor. You can hear it. You can smell it. You can feel it pooling. And you hear a voice coming from somewhere behind the walls. You recognize this voice. And uh, it says to you, Robert, all hell the silent shouter. Your sister shrieks from somewhere across the hall. And your mouth begins to fill to the brim with something. Okay. Uh, I'm going to probably leap to my feet. Okay. And um, I I guess I ex- try to expel whatever in my mouth. It's blood. It's a lot of blood. It's your blood. And when you reach your hand up to your mouth, um, you can feel that there's something going on with your gums. Uh, they feel low. They feel way too low. <clears throat> Um, I, I will, I'll run to a, for a, a, a full, the full-size mirror that's nearby. Yeah. 
Um, your feet are splashing through water. You run to the full-size mirror. You can see the silhouette of your wife behind it. She's heavy with child. And she repeats to you as you look into this mirror, and you can see that your gums are about two inches longer than they should be. They're almost like falling loosely out of your mouth like wet cotton balls, and your teeth are starting to uh, hang as well. It starts making your speech difficult. There's a sensation in your mouth that you can't explain, and your wife says again, Robert, all hell the silent shouter. Mary? Mary? Robert's pulse is probably through the roof right now. Yeah, I need a sand check to accompany that pulse, please. 14? Oh, bravely done. You're only going to get hit for one. I try to force the muscle strength through the rest of my body um, and almost use it to, to tighten up my face muscles. Um, and I guess <laughs> perhaps, perhaps futilely try to have command over my own skin, right? Yeah. I'll turn and let myself be bathed in the red light that's coming through from the window. Yeah. And then slosh my way through my own bedroom using the the bed rails, the, the foot rail as a tension point. The sort of a rail to sort of pull myself closer to the window and then rip the curtains apart to see what is happening outside the house. Beautiful. You rip the curtains apart. And just a pure exertion of that, you can feel um, a new mouthful of blood bubbling up. And as your tongue moves around that, you recognize that it picked up four or five of your teeth with it. Uh, And you're looking out um, through the still, through the quiet, and I need an astronomy check from you. Astronomy? Astronomy check, because you're looking out. And I'm going to tell you what you see, but you're also going to see something in the skies as well. That is a hard success on Captain Dance's astronomy. Holy cow. Okay. Captain Dance, you are familiar with Halley's Comet. It circles the sun every 75 years. It was actually first identified by astronomer Edmund Halley in 1531. You've seen this comet before. Whatever's in the sky right now is not Halley's Comet. It's something different. With a hard success, this one burns bright red, and it is a thousand times brighter than you have seen from Halley's Comet. And as your eyes uh, search the sky as this comet is passing overhead and it's bathing everything in this red, murky light, you notice something else. The comet is cutting through the sky in a blood-red, flaming glory and you don't recognize a single constellation in this sky. You are either witnessing an uncommon, unprecedented celestial phenomena, or you're not endorsed anymore. That is another sand check, please. Certainly. That is a pass. 45 under 58 now. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. You're just going to hit another two on this one. And somewhere behind you, you hear your wife say to you again, Robert, All hell, the silent, and that voice, your wife's voice, is cut off by your sister, Grace, who is screaming somewhere, It's inside me, Robert! It's inside me! Get it out! Didia, there is a soft red glow that begins to illuminate from somewhere outside of your windows. It bathes your chamber in this murky aquatic red glow. There's a series of whispers and cackles and squawks that are circling on the air. 
And it's a thousand and one crunchy, crackling voices all whispering the same thing. All hail the whaler in the dark. You look up and there's this beautiful stained glass window uh, that's in your uh, room. It has rolling green hills, a rising sun, and these gorgeous red vines that are, you know, crawling up the right side. And the image begins to fill with shadow and decay as the sun in the stained glass begins to fill with blood. The vines wither, and then a thousand black bats all crash through the glass, swarming you. They are the voice. Collectively, they are the voice that you've been hearing approach. And they are saying, all hell, the whaler in the dark, as they swarm into your sheets, swarm into your bed, and begin to tear, bite, and scratch at you in a frenzy. What do you do after your sand check? Ooh, that makes sense. Oh, I have a hard success. Look at you, bravo. This is just going to be a two. Okay. I still feel like I probably scream or something. (laughs) This is quite terrifying, especially if I was asleep or for these bats to be coming into the sheets and everything. Yeah. Is there a candle I could light or anything, any type of light source to kind of, besides the red glow, that might give me full visibility of room? Absolutely. You know that there are candles and lanterns in this room. You're just going to have to fight through the bats to actually see and to move uh, because they are swarming you everywhere. They're pulling at your skin. They're pulling at your hair. You can hear your gown starting to rip. They're underneath the sheets. It is complete chaos right now as they're swarming around you. And again, somehow they collectively keep saying, all hell, the whaler in the dark. All hell. Yeah, I think I think I'm probably as I am like screaming to just try to scramble to get any purchase of that lantern and my lighting materials. I'm I'm just struggling to try to light it. Okay. Maybe yeah. Maybe just screaming out for Bartleby or or the captain. Miss Vidya, you are trying to fight through the bats, fight through the blindness. They're in your eyes, they're in your your mouth, they're in your ears, they're everywhere around you. May I please have... Let's go with a power check from you, please. Oh boy, what is my power? Not great. Oh, I barely succeed. Okay, do you want to give me narrative on what you light up and how? It's going to be pretty straightforward, but just the whole act of fighting through the bats is kind of has me turned around and I just happen to just grab the right things at the right time. Yeah. Maybe smash some glass of the lantern or parts of the lantern just into the bats, giving me easier access to just light what's happening, even though, you know, it's not the most proper thing to do. Okay. Okay. So you've got this lantern lit. You're going to take two points of damage uh, as these bats are clawing and tearing and squawking and ripping around at you. You know, you've always had this fantasy, Miss Vidya, like most children have. What would it feel like to fly? What would it feel like to levitate? What would it feel like to float? And I can tell you in this moment, it's one of the most horrifying things as just a swarm of bats is such a mass of speed and dervish beneath you. You can feel your feet uh, rising from the ground. Bartleby, there is a soft red glow that begins to illuminate from somewhere outside of your window. It bathes your chambers in a murky aquatic red glow. Maul on the ground. Um, begins to whimper and then bark and then she starts uttering a bay that almost sounds supernatural Um, she begins 
racing uh, around the room frantically um, with like her head running into a cabinet, knocking contents over. And then she runs into like the, the, the footboard of the bed and she howls in pain. Uh, as you can hear something snap in her. You don't know if that was a, a, a shoulder bone. You don't know if that was her hip, but something snapped in her and she's frantically running about this room in pain, baying and above all of that sound you look up into the ceiling and there are handprints that are coming down through the ceiling and you hear a voice a man's voice that says all hell the unheard howler well, that's pretty fucked yeah you can give me a sand check for it please yeah I'd love to a success a normal one though bravely done go ahead and take two points yeah Hugo's first priority <laughs> He has no idea what the fuck is happening. He's he has done opium. He's done hash. He's done a lot of drugs, but he has never had this <laughs> level of experience. So his first priority is to get the dog an escape route so she doesn't hurt herself further. Okay. Undoes the lock on the door, throws it open, and he knows that she's not. Earlier on, she'd let him pick her up. <laughs> That's what that was. Now she does not, she would not be able to make that rational decision. She's too scared to pull the door open and he just has to hope she finds it herself. You know, he's standing clear of it so that she has a full bar for it. But now he's just like, so are these handprints on the ceiling, are they like when you have blood on your hand and you touch something or is it like the material warping? It feels like the material is warping is something that's trying to push its way through. Hmm. Really fast, you open the door and standing or laying, I should say, there in the hallway is one of the uh, dance servants, uh, probably that same um, young lad that uh, Captain Dance had sent to originally go to clean the room. And she is seized up on the floor. Her uh, eyes are milky white and rolled back. Uh, her fingers are clenched and she's throbbing and thrashing uh, on the ground and she's muttering the same phrase over and over again. All held unhurt, howler, all held. And Maul, who just ran into like a corner of the room and looks disoriented, turns and looks and beelines at this servant. Her hackles are up. Her teeth are completely bared. Uh, this is one of the most ferocious moments that you've seen Maul in. She is in hunting mode right now. It looks like she's beat in on this servant on the floor that's having this seizure. Yeah, I see what's coming. I am not so far gone that I think, oh no, I'll just let my dog kill this person. Not quite that far gone. Yeah, so Hugo's going to try and tackle the dog. <laughs> try and just, like, hold her. And even if that means being dragged, so he's just, like, throwing himself on her. Okay, okay. Roll me a fighting brawl, please. As Maul takes off, blood in her eyes. Oh, nerds. No, no, she beats me. 66 against 25. Okay, and for her uh, reaction, she is not going to dodge. She's actually going to fight back. She's just going to miss you. I can't burn luck because I would love to burn two points to bite you. <laughs> you launch on to grab onto um, Maul, and you just kind of like slide off of her as you're not able to like actually grab onto her fur. Uh, but there's a terrifying moment that when you actually make contact with her, she turns around with teeth bared and that mouth opens and she's actually going for your throat. You're just able to wheel out of the way just before those 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 massive jaws clamp shut and then now she's focused on you. I'm uh he was not happy about this, but he is going to 
he knows he's not too good with punch, but what he is good at with it is a fire poker. Okay. My dog's, like, she's got the hackles up, the, the gums are showing. Yeah. The eyes are wild. He's just like, I will die if I try and fight this dog with just my hands. So yeah, he's going to pick up the fire poker and um, swing it. Okay. Uh, you reach for the fire poker out from um, the small fireplace that has completely died down in the middle of the night. You have now armed yourself. You are now weaponized. Maul knows what that means. And you can almost see her humanity, I would say, dial back one uh, where she goes, oh, okay, I understand where we are now. And she's going to lunge at you again. The last thing I'm going to say to you, Bartleby, is that woman thrashing in the hallway who is repeating all hell, the uh, all hell, the unheard howler. The more she says it, the more she is um, no longer thrashing. It seems like the more she repeats the phrase, the more she comes down. Cutting back over to Captain Dance. An unknown comment is overway. You have seven teeth in your mouth that are swimming with blood. Your sister is outside screaming, Robert, get it out of me. And Vidya is also screaming from somewhere down the hall. All right, I am heading to my sister first. Um, so when I when I break into the hallway here, I guess... Is there anything additional I see in the hallways here? I assume that as I'm moving through this space, the additional light let in through the cracks in the curtains filter through the, the, these hallways as well. So even if it's dark here in the house, I have that sort of ghost phantom red light that filters through on everything. That's a very bright comment. You're getting plenty of uh, you're getting plenty of light. It's not full light inside, but it's enough where you can see. Uh, you can see that same servant uh, who looks like she's at the end of maybe some type of a seizure. Mm. Uh, and she is repeating a phrase again and again, which is all hell, the unheard howler, uh, which is not the phrase that your wife is repeating behind you as she, her silhouette pregnant belly is following you out the door, begging you again and again and again to all hell, the silent shouter. There is another servant that is a male that's on the other end of the hallway, knees drawn to his chest, and he's banging his head again and again against the back wall. You can already see like a little splotch of blood starting to appear on the back. Uh, your sister's door is directly across the hall from you, uh, and it is shut right now, and she's just screaming, Robert, get it out. Yeah, so I approach her door uh, and um, shoulder it open if I had to. The, the servants, I ignore. Yeah. At this point. You've got blood running down your face. Uh, you have a handful of teeth that have already fallen out, and your gums are just getting longer and longer and longer. Give me a strength check, please, to shoulder open this door. We're all good at something. Strength rolls are not the captain's forte. He has people for that. He has people for that, right? Yeah. Nope, that's an 88 over 40. Okay. You shoulder into the door, and this, you know, these these aren't like heavily locked doors. One of these are like little village cottages. It shouldn't be that difficult, but when you slam into the door, the exact same amount of force slams back at you. I raise my voice. Grace? Grace! Why isn't Grace responding? I keep shouldering the door. Okay. Okay. You want to push that roll? Mm, no. No. Um, you're calling her name, uh, Robert, and your wife is now in the hallway and you hear the sickening sound of her water breaking. <laughs> and she says, Robert! 
All hail the silent shouter. It sounds like she's begging you to do something. This is her pleading with you. I turn to her and with, you know, a handful of teeth in my mouth say, Mary, what are you talking about? And she waddles towards you with liquid spilling from beneath her legs. Uh, And again, it's not her as much as it is like a blacked out silhouette of her that sounds like her, that moves like her. Uh, As she approaches, smells like her. And she's uh, getting ready to put uh, two hands on either side of your face and just this black silhouette that face is looking at you so pitifully. And she turns your face to the girl on the floor uh, whose seizures are coming down as she's repeating this phrase. And then she looks to you and she says, Robert, all hell, the silent shouter. I'm trying to figure out if Robert would connect the two. Mike obviously does. Um, you want to do an int check for him? Sure. Nope. Nope. <laughs> it's a rough night. Uh, it is. It is. He's got luck, but I don't want to spend that. So I will just say, um, did I see the, I didn't see the beforehand of this servant uh, writhing. I've only seen sort of, sort of the slowdown of the after effects, right? Slow down of the after effects. Is, yep. is that servant still, still repeating it? Yeah. Oh, hell. Oh, hell. Oh, hell. The unheard howler. Oh, hell. Oh, hell. Oh, hell. The unheard howler. I'll turn to Mary and say, all hail the silent shout. Through like garbled, you know, half weak gums. She looks relieved and she steps in uh, closer to you uh, where her, you know, her breasts are flush with um, your chest. And she looks to you with this pleading face that says, say it again. Although the only thing she can say is, Robert, all hail the silent shouter. And if you say it again... You can feel that you have more uh, control over your speech. Yeah, I say it again. Uh, oh, oh, hell. This silent shouter. And she puts her forehead against yours and you can feel her pregnant belly against your stomach. And she goes, Robert, all hell, the silent shouter. All hell, the silent shouter. Robert, all hell, the silent shouter. I put my hands on her belly. All hell, the silent shouter. And she looks to you one last time and she says, Robert, all hail the silent shouter. I nod to her. All hail the silent shouter. And you no longer taste blood in your mouth. Your teeth are back where they belong. And Mary is completely gone. Hopping over to Vidya. Uh, Vidya, you are literally rising from the floor in this horrible unbalance as it's just scores of bats are fluttering and squawking all hell the whaler in the dark as you are rising from the ground with a lantern in your hand. Uh, who, who is the whaler in the dark? What is What does this all mean? And it begins to spin you around as you're up another two feet into the air. Oh, this is going to make me so dizzy. I, I think I think I I still have no idea what's going on. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm probably does does that terminology does that phrase like ring a bell? All hell, the whaler in the dark. All hell, the whaler in the dark. All hell, the whaler in the dark. No, that that means nothing to you. But the second you have that realization, you know that it should. As you rise another foot off the ground. Oh no. 
Vidya's probably just whispering the phrase whaler in the dark to herself. She's probably not connecting. She's not connecting, like, what all hail. All hail the whaler in the dark. How close is she to the ceiling? I'll put you up about six feet right now. Ooh. If they drop you, it's going to hurt. Because at this point, they have you at this weird angle where your nightgown is fluttering down, like, over your face, and you're at this weird, like half angle where if you're coming down, you're probably going to fall straight on your neck. Mm-hmm. I think uh, if the bats are still like responding to me, like all hail. Yeah. I feel like I'm I'm probably just going to continue talking to them. What do I have to do? Put me down. What do I have to do? They're squawking and they're screaming at you as you're nearing the ceiling. Uh, your foot touches the top of the fe- ceiling, but they keep going forward, which means like your legs are starting to spread up across the ceiling and, and they keep cackling. And, and in a frenzy, all hell, the whaler in the dark. I feel like at this point, I I probably join in. Okay. All hail, all hail the, whale, the whale, whaler in the dark. All, all hail the whaler in the dark. And the more you say it, the more this doesn't feel as frantic or random. It feels more like you would notice in a church or a cathedral where it's call and response. You call, they respond. And the more you call, the more you notice that they stop attacking you. You're still rising towards the ceiling. At this point, you are back against the ceiling, looking down at the floor. But it's a call and response right now, and they're no longer attacking you. And they continue all hell, the whaler in the dark. Can I, like, spider crawl myself along the ceiling to land over the bed, potentially, if I see that, like, this is kind of happening? Oh, my God. I absolutely love that. Roll me a dex check. A dex check. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, I succeeded. Oh, so what does this look like as you are spider or crab walking across the ceiling while shouting? Oh, hell, the whaler in the dark. Oh, boy. Yeah, I feel like it is just a lot of, like, weird hand motions using okay. lots of muscles that Vidya probably hasn't needed uh, and just very, with, with difficulty, trying to get these words out because I imagine just like the pressure of being pushed up against the ceiling is probably you know taking a toll on her diaphragm and lungs so all hail the whaler in the dark please put me down all hail the whaler in the dark please put me down and the more this call and response happens video as you're crawling crawling across the ceiling. Why is that a phrase that we're hearing today that shouldn't be happening? You're making your way to the bed and you notice now not only are they not attacking you, the more you repeat the phrase all hell, the whaler in the dark, little scores of bats take off from the the main body and fly back out of the window. And by the last time that you call out all hell, the whaler in the dark, there's just not enough of them there to keep you pinned and you fall. Do I hopefully land on a soft bed. You land on a soft bed in a house that is echoing with terrified, horrified, and painful screams above and below you. Bartleby, Maul is coming at you, baby. So my theory is that I'm going to use the fire poker like I would a sword to try and impale her as she comes at me because she's all muscle mass and I'm kind of getting old so yeah it's uh as she comes at me i'm going to try and get her to impale herself on the weapon 
rather than um, actually do anything myself. Okay. You have a higher dex than she is, so are we okay just to say you are delaying until after she goes? Mm-hmm. Okay. Or even happy to say like that I'm bracing myself for her attack. Okay. So like, if you like to imagine, he's hold so Bartleby is a southpaw. He holds the, the poker in his left hand. He's braced the... T- it's still hot from the fire. He's got it against the sleeve, the shirt he fell asleep in. Mm. And he's just curled, made his, you know, the arms are across his body to protect his organs. And he's just supporting the tip as much as he can so it doesn't get bent. And he's just aiming. Okay. You know that this attack is imminent. And I'm going to ask for an additional sand check to potentially kill your own dog here in a second. Yep. Two voices rain out to you. Your eyes flutter up to the ceiling and there are more hands now, at least a dozen, and they're all trying to push through and push in. And now shoulders and faces are trying to push through the top of the ceiling. They're all reaching towards you. And they all say, all hell, the unheard howler. And as you look into Maul's eyes and you have to admit whatever's there isn't Maul right now, um, that voice in the hallway the person that you literally just saved. She's starting to pull herself up and she looks to you with a a vacant, distant face and she says, all hell, the unheard howler. It looks like she's begging you to do something as Maul attacks. 56 is just going to be a regular success for her and I'm assuming Mm -hmm. in this moment it's just safe to say you're fighting back? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Would this count as fighting sword? Yeah, I'll give you fighting sword for this one. In, in which case I got a hard success. Yeah, that's going to hurt. Go ahead and uh, give me damage. That fire poker, I'll give you a, what, D6 on? Okay. With your damage bonus, too? With my damage bonus. Yeah. So D6 plus D4. Yep. Total four damage. Okay. Maul charges. She lunges. And she impales herself onto this fire poker. And she looks confused. She looks bewildered. Uh, she bays uh, in pain as this comes through the other side of her. And her head begins to shake. And for just a brief moment, you can see Maul in those eyes. Uh, her head shakes again. And then it's just the gnashing of teeth and the, the chomping and the coming in at you. And her head shakes. And you can see that it's Maul again. And something from the ceiling now is waist through. It looks like it's getting ready to drop. And it looks to you and it's pleading with you, Bartleby. It is pleading like like the men on your ship who would beg you not to punish them or reprimand them for some type of disappointment. Like the people you have killed over the years that have begged you for your lives. Whatever this is that's getting ready to literally fall through and birth from the ceiling looks to you. And it is pleading all hell, the unheard howler. Bartleby is just not in a good place. He's just... Shut the fuck up. Yeah, he's killing his favorite dog right now. And um, he doesn't need this bullshit of bodies coming through ceilings and crazy ladies having seizures in halls. He does not need that right now. (laughs) He is dealing with something very personal right now. Thank you. Yeah. Sad check? (laughs) Yeah, please. Oh, Oh, God. A fumble. Rolled a hundred. Isn't that a critical fail? It is. 
Oops. I believe that would be Max Sandloss, please. <laughs> yeah, there's no int check with that. Nope. No. So, go ahead and take your six. Oh, six. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Go ahead and take your six. Two points off indefinite insanity. Woo. Oh, but it's a real bad thing that caused me to do it, though. It is, it is. And just give me just a quick second. Because I'm going to skip your int here, and we're just going to go straight to your bout. Mm -hmm. John, there are so many ways that I could destroy you on this one. Do you want to do your bout here? Yeah, I'd love to. Okay, take it. So as the light leaves her, he is just going to emit his own howl. And he is going to brokenly pet his dog and um, just howls of grief. Just full on, no words, just guttural animal howling. Um, And he's just petting her, just stroking the coat, scratching behind her ear, just real slow strokes. He's there like that for, for a little while. Something falls onto the ground before you or behind you. You go with a wet, Plop. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a a bag of potatoes just boom right behind you. Uh, And you can feel a pair of hands starting at your lower back and working their way up your ribcage, over your shoulders, uh, over your throat, and then eventually over your eyes. And it has you staring directly into the face of Maul. Maul is howling in response to your howling. She's baying in pain. She's screaming. And whatever this is that has control of your face says again, all hell, the unheard howler. And then it snaps your neck back where your mouth is facing the ceiling and included in that bout of madness. I'll give you, you have to respond with it. Oh, totally. I have to respond. All hail, all hail the, the unheard howler. All, all hail the unheard howler. And he's just still petting and holding on to his dog as she's leaving him the last time. And uh, he's just repeating the mantra. He's broken. Something in him is gone that has never been gone before because he's never had to kill a friend. Robert, the door to Grace's room flies open uh, as you are looking at where your wife and your child uh, were once standing. And the moment you turn around, she just tackles you with this frantic and devastated and heartbroken hug. And she's just whispering into your ear. She's saying your name uh, much different than your wife was. She's saying your name and she's just repeating again and again. Oh, hell, the silent shouter. Robert, what's happening? What's happening? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, Chris. I don't know. I, I don't know. I saw, I saw Mary. I saw Mary in this hallway. And this, uh, some sort of, some sort of celestial event outside. A comet. Uh, so, uh, uh, an apocalypse. I, I, I don't know. The, the stars are not where they're supposed to be. Robert, it was inside of me. It got inside of me. All hell the... And, and you know, you, you look to the right and the 
final head bang stops with that servant that's on the floor and that servant just flops his head rolls forward and then his body just rolls and drops onto the floor I'm going to look past Grace as I'm holding on to her and look into her room what, what what happened in her room you look past her shoulders and you look in the room and there is something in the room that's still there um it's dancing in between um, a corner where light is sort of hitting it and light isn't hitting it. Uh, but it looks like something, possibly a male figure, is just standing there, stoically looking at the door. I will immediately put Grace sort of in the hallway. I'll pivot to put myself between her and this thing. You there! Who are you? And it unfolds two hands where the palms are facing the ceiling and it looks up and in a whisper of a vanish uh, you hear a male voice say all hell the silent shouter and it's gone what I step into the room there's a light switch probably well I don't know if there's a light switch in the there's probably a not yet not here for them yet in this little town Dorset missed a lot of the industrial revolution because they don't have coal in that area so they're they're behind on the times so I, I tap the wall probably furiously for a minute and then realize there's no switch there and then I'll step into the room and try to get to the curtains to, to get some sort of light even if it's that damned red light into yeah. the room so I can see what has happened okay uh, you throw open the curtains, you throw open the curtains, more of that red light bathes into the room. And the one thing you can see from this side of the building, from her side of the building, every single house in Dorset is experiencing some type of other similar event. There is broken glass. There is screaming happening from houses. There are whales um, looking down onto the ground. Two of those other newfies look like they're in a battle to the death. They're tearing each other apart. There's blood splashing. Um, you can see from the stables that the stable master comes out and he's staggering. He's clawing at his own face. It looks like the entire area of Mill Puddle, sorry, not Dorset, of Mill Puddle here seems to be experiencing the same event. I shake my head and um, head back to the hallway where Grace is and probably start looking for Bartleby because now I'm looking for the people who are important to me. I can still hear in the distance Miss Vidya crying or calling or some noise of, of her voice, yes? So I'll take a hard left and go after Vidya next because Bartleby is an able man and can take care of himself. Vidya, you have fallen onto a nice comfy bed and the very last bat is like, you know, staggers and, you know, erratic spinning and, you know, hits a wall, hits a ceiling, is trying to look for the exit. And uh, just before it leaves, uh, you can hear that one last, oh, hell, the way you learn in the dark. And it flips out. I feel like Vidya is just sitting on the bed crying, like holding onto the lantern and just, just crying. This is just a lot to like be in a brand new country, like with people who don't look like me and then bats come into the room at night it's is this like is this what happens in england like is like the all hail the whaler in the dark like is that like a reference to christianity like i i don't know like i i think she's just probably like she's she's just crying on the bed like curled up in the fetal position and robert that is what you will walk into uh when you hit her front door 
I'm going to jump over to Bartleby right now. Maul is not dead. She took four points of damage. If she takes another hit like that, though, she will be. And Bartleby, uh, paint us a scene of where you are right now because you've got something that looks like it's covered in plaster. Maybe it's completely white and it's dripping and it just fell from your ceiling and it's still holding your, your, your neck back. Bartleby's still way deep in his bout. He's okay. He is just crying, sobbing, howling, and repeating the phrase, all hail the howler in the dark. He just, he's not, not quite all there right now. Okay. And he's just holding Maul real tight. This creature is chanting with you and you can hear uh, the sounds, the thudding, plopping sounds of other things falling from the ceiling and you're you're suspended in time and space and grief and sorrow and um, it, it, you don't recognize that there are seven other figures in the room with you right now all dripping with maybe plaster or paint or whatever this is, moonlight uh, but they're all saying all hell the unheard howler and as you put that pillow over Maul's head and she goes from thrashing to slowing um, I am going to roll your bout time which is a one, thank God. <laughs> oh, oh, good. So you're going to be able to snap back out of it as you're aware that there are seven figures in the room with you. Maul is back. You have successfully acted as a herald by recognizing all hell, the unheard howler. And you come to, at least for the moment. <laughs> My priority right now is... I'm surrounded by seven weird things made of plaster that dripped from the ceiling. I'm not. That's that's not great. Was one of them actually holding me, or was that part of my bout? Oh no, it's definitely there, and it that's, was holding that's you. That's definitely holding me. And it has your neck pointed up. Uh huh. He's just gonna keep saying it, and he. But it's gone from manic, just pleading for everything to be okay, kind of thing, to now full of resentment. This, whatever this is is what caused this horrible sequence of events. I, I'm not going to forgive that. So even though he's saying, I'll hail the unheard howler. Mm-hmm. I'll hail the unheard howler. I'll hail the unheard howler. But mentally what I'm saying is, I'm going to fucking get you. I'm going to get you. And I am going to destroy you for doing this to my dog. I'm mad as hell. Uh, I'm going along because, again, I'm on my knees. Something's holding me by by my neck, by my, like, jawline. Yeah. I am not in a position of power. I'm... I'm going to make this right in my own little way. So you continue to call all hell the unheard howler and the creatures... Uh, in the room who were approaching you, uh, they turn their heads awkwardly to the right and to the left. And the more you say it, uh, the more they seem less interested in you and more interested in returning to the ceiling. And one by one, uh, the six uh, who had joined their fellow uh, climb up the walls um, and pull themselves almost like into slipping into an inverted swimming pool. They pull themselves back into the ceiling and uh, the last one that was holding your head releases you. You can feel the wet, but there's nothing actually there. And it looks down at you, this faceless, milky white silhouette. And it looks back up to the ceiling. And it steps back. 
And it goes and it crawls very slowly on all fours until its last piece of the foot slips into the ceiling. And you look down and the pillow is in your lap. And Maul is looking at you. And she just begins to start licking the tears off of your face. And that, guys, is where we are going to end episode three. Thank you very much, uh, Keeper Bridget. We greatly appreciated episode three. I hope all of our listeners are enjoying it and uh, look forward to the next episode. So we will, in very short order, invite you back to Regency England. Thank you and good night.